basically when I got to West Point, there was kind of a club day where you could pick clubs that you wanted to be a part of. So what to do in your spare time. This is Adam. Today, he helps organizations hack their own products. But back in 2014, Adam was still an impressionable young cadet. So how did West Point change him? And as a first year, it was kind of the, the best way you could like make friends with upperclassmen and, and kind of have a real life outside of school. So I joined the computer club, C3T, Cadet Competitive Cyber Team, which happened to be a hacking club. That's crazy. West Point teaching its cadets to hack? Or maybe, just maybe, back in 2014, West Point and other military service academies were on to something really important. Welcome to The Hacker Mind, an original podcast from For All Secure. It's about challenging our expectations about people who hack for a living. I'm Robert Vimosi, and in this episode, I'm talking about the shortage of InfoSec experts and how, through the use of Computer Capture the Flag competitions, or CTFs, the U.S. military, for example, is attempting to address the shortage of information security experts through gamification. In 2019, the International Information System Security Certification Consortium, which is better known as ISC Squared, released a workforce study that found there is a shortage of InfoSec experts, a shortage that's estimated to be nearly 4.8 million worldwide. Think about that. In APAC alone, there's a shortage of 2.6 million experts. And in North America, that's half a million. Half a million InfoSec jobs that are currently unfulfilled. Part of the problem is both in training and in recruiting new talent. And we make it harder because we, we introduce all these problems that require more people. That's Frank Pound. For nearly five years, starting in 2014, he was a project manager at DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. He thinks policies we have in place today may have increased the number of people needed. And perhaps these same policies also mask some underlying problems. You know, like a password policy problem. We don't think passwords are long enough, so we need to make passwords longer. Well, really, what's the root problem that you're trying to address? So we're in this constant policy update where, we okay, the longer passwords didn't work, so now we need to add special characters. Well, those didn't work, so now we need to make them extra longer and make sure that you don't reuse anything that looks like a previous password. So we're in this constant battle, and it's just pass passwords is just one area. Think about the government for a moment any government. It's a maze of bureaucracy, departments within departments, agencies within agencies, each with their own computer system. Now, just imagine one department, the Department of Defense, and the Byzantine number of systems it alone has to manage. Because the military also, you know, they have help desks just like the commercial world does. The military has massive computer networks. Uh, they have business operations. They have to pay bills and process paperwork just like everybody else does. There's, there's a very boring side to the DOD, believe it or not. Um, and it's all run on computer networks, just like um, boring commercial industry is. And so that all needs to be defended because when something's boring, it becomes very interesting for an adversary. Because if, if it's boring to us, we're not going to pay a lot of attention to it, maybe not resource it as much as we want to, and thus it becomes weak. So the adversary sees that and they want to get into it because there's probably something there. It's probably connected to something that they want. So you have these complex intertwined computer systems. That requires support. So even complex computer systems have their own bureaucracy. And maintaining all that requires a lot of people, lots of trained people. And then, then you have the, the support staff that has to answer all the calls for people who forget their password or you know their brains aren't tuned in the right way to you know, be able to remember 
passwords the way that we think they should, all sorts of problems like that. So then we have a, a, a problem recruiting the people to support the policy, uh, to train the staff to support you know, the support staff, uh, the IT staff takes those calls, um, whether it's passwords or extra exorbitant security enforcement on the desktop. And then you have, you know, so that's, that's configuration management, IT management, IT staffing. So, so that's that recruiting problem. And we make it harder because we, we introduce all these problems that require more people, <laughs> you know, so we're in this crazy dilemma. Back in 2014, the U.S. Cyber Command had an ambitious goal of integrating at least 6,000 cybersecurity experts into the combat commands within the next two years. It was up to DARPA to suggest ways to achieve that goal. So I think we've tried to solve it with some of these capture the flag contests that are probably the best we can do right now. Capture the Flag is a head-to-head networked competition played by the world's top hackers. It's a race to find, diagnose, and fix software flaws in real time in an adversarial environment. It's named after the children's game with flags hidden in forts in distant fields. But here, the environment is made of unexplored code. The flags are secret data, and the players move through security weaknesses to capture flags at network speeds. Um, and those have evolved quite a bit. You know, if you go back all the way to the early, you know, sort of, sort of flagship capture the flag contest at DEF CON, where you had sort of a force on force, you know, defend and capture, defend your flag and capture the other guy's flag. Um, that's evolved quite a bit too. DEF CON is the largest hacker conference in the world. It is held either the last week in July or the first week of August in Las Vegas, Nevada. And it's home to one of the largest and best known capture the flag competitions in the world. You see a lot more interest in cybersecurity because of that. People go to DEF CON and they see this and they're like, that's really cool. I want to I want to be able to do that. Uh, so that has addressed some of the uh, shortcomings in talent. Um in a big way. Uh, It's popularized cybersecurity and made it cool. And so naturally, you're going to have more people that want to be involved. There are basically two types of CTFs. One, attack and defend CTF is modeled off the real world game of the same name. These CTFs involve two or more teams, all trying to defend their own flag as well as capture their opponent's flag. And in the computer world, a flag can be as simple as the word flag, either in English or in leet speak, the other type of capture the flag, perhaps the best known, is Jeopardy style. That's where the challenges are grouped by categories and where the deeper you go in a category, the more points you rack up to win. These are typically used as qualifiers for the live attack and defend capture the flags. We continue to evolve the, the nature of capture the flag. And when I was at DARPA, we, we ran a bunch of programs to try to identify top talent in different fields, cybersecurity being one of them. And that was through the uh, Cyberstakes program. Cyberstakes CTF, a uniquely DARPA-inspired competition modeled after the DEF CON competitions. Back in 2014, the Cyberstakes CTF consisted of 60 cadets and midshipmen from three service academies and the Coast Guard Academy. Like DEF CON, it was designed to have two parts. The qualifiers for the original Cyberstakes online were held in October and consisted of Jeopardy-style questions. Cyberstakes Live was held in February and consisted of attack and command style CTF. Cyberstakes was created to you know help identify talent, uh, generate excitement uh, within the DoD, and to help actually help the DoD recruit uh, cybersecurity people who may not have considered the DoD before because they thought, oh, if I join the military, I'm going to carry a rifle and you know dig a foxhole and stuff like that. Well, 
that we wanted that to change uh, and to, to make sure people knew that there's, you know, in addition to being fighter pilots and soldiers, you could also be an awesome cybersecurity uh, person. So all that begins to explain why there was a hacking team at West Point in the fall of 2014. I wasn't that surprised because it was called like the competitive cyber team. Kind of the whole idea of like a cyber branch was already kind of coming into common knowledge, um, at least at West Point. So I had heard about people, you know, going to do cyber stuff, which obviously meant um, hacking to some degree. Given he was a first year cadet, Adam wasn't expected to know everything about computers, let alone how to hack or defend them. I think there's this thing called like hack this site. I might have seen that a couple of times, just like posted on Reddit, which is kind of like just this site that's set up and there's some vulnerabilities and you can kind of poke at it. Hacking a website can be as simple as viewing the source of a web page and then looking for any clues. Is it vulnerable to cross-site scripting, which sends data to a different user? Is it vulnerable to a SQL injection, which can sabotage the data that is stored on the site? There's cookie tampering or poisoning, and there's form tampering. And then there's good old website defacements, where you change the images or text on the site to say something else entirely. Aside from that, I just had some programming experience like Python. I did. I wrote an app. So what was Adam's first experience with Capture the Flag? First CTF was actually the tryouts for C3T, uh, where it was kind of a small Jeopardy style one. Pretty easy questions. Kind of my first experience with assembly, web hacking, all that kind of stuff. And through that, that's how I got started doing CTFs. With CTFs, you can't always look at the application source code. You can't actually see the software so the only option is to reverse engineer the application and look at its machine code in assembly language. What is assembly language? It is a very low-level computing language, mostly commands. It's almost like looking at the raw ones and zeros. If Adam didn't already know assembly well, that's okay, because most CTFs are usually performed in teams. Because we are all so new, um, some of the upperclassmen on the team were you know, willing to help out if you were putting in the time and ask questions, because... Really, the tryouts was to see like who was, you know, had the skills, but also who was willing to put in the effort. So if you're putting in the effort, they were going to teach you anyway, because once you join the team, you're going to be learning with them. For CTFs, different members of the team are better at some aspects than others. I remember when I first started out, I definitely had the most experience with websites and stuff. I had written like SQL backends and I had written stuff that was probably full of bugs when I wrote it, but that made me a little bit better at doing some of the web stuff at the beginning just because I was so familiar with it. Cryptography and uh, assembly reverse engineering by exploitation. I'd never, never seen any of that kind of thing before. That was definitely a lot harder. The advantage then of CTFs is that it pushes you out of your comfort zone and challenges you to grow. And one of the goals of the CyberStake CTF was to teach and encourage new security experts. I remember one of the upperclassmen teaching me about assembly during the tryouts. And it was just kind of this foreign language. I didn't really understand anything. I don't think I really understood like pointers and C either at the time. So understanding assembly language was like really hard because it's basically just the most raw thing you can do and it's all pointer it's all just moving little things around so that was definitely the hardest part about that i remember for about like the first almost a year of it it was really hard like i don't think i liked it very much because everything about it like these problems using assembly you know finding and exploiting bugs on the stack and stuff some stuff i hadn't learned about in school yet or hadn't had any experience with it was just kind of hitting my head against a wall. But once it finally clicked, it was so much fun, like finding this like little puzzles and solving them. 
So I definitely think if I didn't have the CTF path with this team and learning together, probably wouldn't have happened. Each CTF is different. Some are themed or named. A few stand out as memorable. I think the only one I remember was Wolverine, I think it was called. And it was basically just like any other reverse engineering challenge where you get a binary black box. In security, a black box is an unknown system with unknown software. It's the closest thing to hacking in the real world, where you're on a network, but you don't know the systems that are there. So, as a hacker, you have to analyze the black box and see what you have to work with. Your goal is to find like an input that, you know, it says, good job, you found the correct input. So it's kind of like a key gen cracker kind of deal. And this one was just kind of a web of functions and they all kind of looped back into each other. And I think that was when I really kind of started to understand um, assembly and being able to reason about moving through strings. I just remember... I think I was one of the first persons to solve that challenge, and it was really, really exciting when I finally got it. Some people only compete in online CTFs, but Adam says the real fun for him is going to the live competitions. I mean, you can do it remotely, but I definitely prefer doing it with teammates. Kind of like pair programming, but not really. It's just more fun to, to talk to somebody about it and like draw it out together and you know bounce ideas off each other. When you're doing it remotely, it's not quite as easy to do that. You can still you know work with somebody else, but... The feedback's not really there, so it's usually you kind of work on it for a while, you find some stuff, you hand it off, or you kind of just kind of like blog about it on Slack about what you're doing, and maybe someone else comes in and contributes. So there's definitely a social aspect here. My favorite thing is always staying up really late with other people. You know, maybe you find one or two people who are working on the same challenge as you, and you're, you know, working on it, reverse engineering it, you're kind of figuring out this idea and this map of what this problem is. Um, what's this program trying to do? Usually at some point you go to sleep. You're just so tired when you wake up, but you're a little bit refreshed and you come back together and you you have like this moment where you realize what's going on. I mean, you solve the problem and it's always really, really rewarding because you spend so much time figuring it out. And then finally you find some kind of elegant solution or at least some solution and you get the points and it's, it's always really fun. Most of the intense camaraderie occurs during the attack and defend CTFs. On the attack defense style, which was similar to the Cyberstakes in-person event, Cyberstakes Live, really it's kind of like this ongoing battle between these servers where you have kind of this set of Jeopardy style problems on each one. And it's your challenge to hack into each other's machines, but also defend your own machine. So fixing the bugs and the programs and patching, you know, whatever services are in there to prevent exploitation. And in that one, you can actually look at the web traffic, see what these exploits people are throwing live are and see if you can reverse engineer stuff. So in that one, you do get a little bit of incentive for looking at what other people are doing to kind of in a, in a way. Adam has a unique perspective. He's competed in both cyber stakes as a cadet and later at DEF CON the grandmaster of all CTFs. They're actually, I guess, pretty similar. DEFCON quals and Cyberstakes Online. So those are the two kind of qualifying events are both Jeopardy-style CTFs. Definitely DEFCON quals is a lot harder because they're trying to kind of filter out, you know, the, the best of the best. And then Cyberstakes Online has kind of a different objective where it's, to kind of find talent, but also kind of be this kind of start from zero. The challenges are super easy, but then get harder and harder. So 
in addition to, you know, seeing who's good, it also kind of helps you learn. It's kind of like a whole um, educational journey of a CTF. And then the Cyber Stakes Live and DEF CON final CTF, they're both kind of similar because they're both, at least in the past, were attack defend. And once again, kind of kind of scale-wise, um, difficulty-wise, there's a little bit of difference there. But, you know, it's the um, same kind of deal. Unlike in 2014, CTFs today are becoming more common. It's even becoming part of the typical computer curriculum. Yeah, basically any class that you take in cybersecurity is going to have some sort of CTF in it. It's, it's just kind of the way you learn about this stuff. Like if you're not doing policy, if you're trying to learn how it's like really done, you basically need to do it. And, and the most convenient, most fun way is a CTF. So I think a lot of people in the industry who are kind of in the real side of like security, like actually hacking from a you know, binary standpoint or probably even web, I'm not too sure, do or have done CTFs at some point in time. Speaking of time, maybe you think you don't have the time. Most CTFs are held on the weekend and most are short, lasting 24 or 48 hours. This makes it possible to fit into a busy school or work schedule. The CyberSake CTF was designed to be even longer, running from one weekend straight through to the other, Cyber stakes, 10 days long. It was a pretty convenient format for us. And it really made the most sense since it was targeted at service academy people. So you had enough time in your busy schedule that you could kind of figure out these little chunks of time that you could do it um, on your own. Most CTFs are targeted towards, you know, normal CTF teams, people who can kind of choose their own schedules. Um, and they're usually on the weekends. So people who work, you know, have school on the weekdays they can play on the weekends when, you know, people normally have time to schedule on their own. And what about that original CyberStake CTF program that Adam competed in? It continues today, although under a different mandate. It's now known as the All-Army CyberStake CTF, and it's open to not just service academies, but pretty much anybody with a .mil or a .gov email address. And if Adam didn't join the computer club at West Point, would he have ended up doing what he's doing today? Uh, definitely not. I think that was largely successful. I attracted a lot of attention, both organically, because you've got existing uniform people drifting over into the cybersecurity areas and really helped identify some top talent that we didn't know. You know, there, there were all these people just sitting in plain sight in the DOD who were amazing cybersecurity professionals and cyber states, you know, really put a flashlight on them, helped us pull them into the community. Some cadets at West Point and other service academies have stayed and have built their careers in information security. The cyber stakes competitions that have been held, I've seen folks that participated at, say, a you know lieutenant level or a low level enlisted uh, grade, um, gradually get promoted, you know, through the years, five, seven, ten years later, that are now in leadership positions uh, of large numbers of people, and so that's great. It was hard to find somebody in leadership that actually knew the. The, the low-level details of software exploitation and why it mattered uh, and why we needed to defend against it. And without the understanding of those nuanced problems and what's happening in a computer's memory with buffer overflows and the heap arrangement and the memory of a program and how it can be manipulated from the outside by an adversary, unless you understand those nuanced problems, it's hard to make good strategy decisions about how to defend your network. And so it, 
If you don't understand those things, you fall back on policy. And we already talked about policy. Policy is it's it's a checklist. It's a map of the minefield. Uh, so it's kind of an interesting conundrum there. Leaders that know the low-level details of how computers work, how memory works, how networks work, the individual bytes in a TCPIP frame, how they're arranged and why sequence numbers are important and why checksums are important, they intuitively will be able to make logical decisions about how best to defend their networks and use policy as like just a, just a, a way to make sure they didn't forget something. So the work that Frank did at DARPA and the competitions that Adam participated in back in 2014 are paying off today. There are more leaders with more technical chops within the Department of Defense because of it. This program has been so successful that there's now a bipartisan proposal before Congress called Cybersecurity Competitions to Yield Better Efforts to Research the Latest Exceptionally Advanced Programs, or better known as CyberLeap Act of 2020. This would establish and formalize a series of computer competitions within the government to enhance information security. That's a great idea. Having more CTFs like CyberStakes should help increase the numbers of InfoSec experts. And it starts to address the shortfall that ISC Squared was warning us about. And it starts to make us all safer in the applications that we use both at work and at home. And as those experts drift out of government over time, they will continue to benefit the commercial world as well. For The Hacker Mind, I'm Robert Famosi.